Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us. When I stopped drinking, I felt like a failure and the biggest loser ever. I'd been telling myself for years that I was bad because I couldn't figure out how to moderate. And if you've been hanging out with me for a bit, then you know very desperately one morning 
I gave up on drinking in moderation and accepted that I will never drink another way. After I got sober, I wanted to understand why this happened to me. Am I really a bad loser who chose to drink that way? Am I actually weak and have no willpower? So I started researching addiction. I wanted to understand if this was my fault. I read papers every single day and educated myself on what's actually going on in the brain. I woke up one year ago on June 25th, 2020, seven months sober, and felt compelled to share everything that I was learning about alcohol with the world. Learning about addiction was helping me so much that I thought it would help you too if you could have the same information. I decided that the best way to do this was by podcasting. Only problem was I had no idea how to start a podcast. I did have a $28 microphone from Amazon, but I had no idea how to record audio. You don't think that that would be the limiting factor, but it really was. I had no idea how to record myself. The only way I knew how to record something was through a Zoom call. So I Zoom called myself and recorded the podcast that way. Then I watched an editing tutorial on YouTube for a free software that I downloaded, did some basic edits, and put out the podcast that afternoon. I had no plan and no following, but I just felt that I needed to get it out there. One year later, my podcast is in the top 1.5% of all podcasts in the entire world. It's peaked at number 39 on the U.S. Apple Science Charts. It's been featured in articles published on websites like NPR, People, and U.S. News. And I've received so many wonderful messages and podcast reviews from my listeners. I'm so proud to do this work. And I really went into it with the attitude of, why not? Why couldn't this podcast become popular? Yeah, I'm some lady from Boston that nobody knows about or cares about who doesn't know what she's doing and is recording a podcast in a Zoom call by herself. But why couldn't it be popular? There was nothing in my mind that was standing in the way of this information getting out there. I didn't have fears that people would make fun of me or... Or I'd do all this work and then nobody would care. I just thought, I really feel that I need to get this out there. I feel that way for a reason. So I did it. So I've learned so much in the past year about addiction, but I wanted to highlight my top five things for you. Alcohol doesn't feel the same for everyone. When I was drinking, I could not understand how people would leave behind half a drink or why they didn't want to drink all the time like I did. I thought they were weird and boring people. When I started researching addiction science, I learned that alcohol doesn't feel the same for everyone, and it just totally blew my mind. It made so much sense. It's not that they're able to resist or that they're a stronger person than I am. It's just that alcohol feels fine for them, but it feels like the best thing ever for me. Of course, I would want to drink more and more often if it feels amazing. And a take it or leave it drinker is that way because alcohol just feels fine. It's not the best thing ever and they don't like hangovers 
for us, we can deal with the hangovers because alcohol is the best thing that has ever existed. But not everybody feels that way. So when we drink alcohol, endorphins are released in the brain, which bind to opioid receptors, which release dopamine into the nucleus accumbens. This area of the brain is a part of the reward system, and it uses dopamine to reinforce behaviors. The more dopamine that's released, the more important your brain thinks that reward is, and alcohol releases much more dopamine than natural rewards. So that's why our brain thinks it's super important. Alcohol changes our brain's reward system as we abuse it. So the brain releases even more endorphins, which means even more dopamine is being released. Dopamine makes us feel pleasure. So alcohol starts to feel even better than it used to. And the extra dopamine convinces the brain that alcohol is extremely important for us. This makes us pursue it even when it makes us miserable because we believe it's essential for a good life. So just like alcohol doesn't feel the same for everybody, alcohol changes our brains in different ways too. Some of us have more alcohol-induced changes to the brain than others, and this is one reason why some people can drink a lot and never develop a problem. They enjoy alcohol, but it doesn't feel like the best thing ever, and their brain's reward system isn't as affected by alcohol as ours may be. If you're interested in learning more on this topic, I go into it in depth in episode 11. So number two is alcohol prevents us from thinking clearly and we're not in denial because we're weak-willed losers. We just can't think straight. Alcohol damages all areas of the brain. And one area that takes a big hit is our prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for impulse control, using good judgment, thinking things through, and regulating our emotions. If this area of the brain is damaged, then we become more impulsive, more emotionally reactive, and live in the immediate moment instead of thinking about future us. I used to always say, that's a problem for tomorrow's Jill, but I'm tomorrow's Jill. I'm going to be her in a little while. I never cared about going to work hungover or traveling and like feeling so sick from drinking the night before. I just cared about that moment and partying. So I was incapable of thinking about the future and caring about it. Even worse, drinkers are usually very emotionally immature because we never learn how to handle stress and negative emotions. So we're emotionally immature, impulsive, and more emotionally reactive from abusing alcohol. This is why so many newly sober people push the F it button and go back to drinking when they're faced with a negative feeling. We just don't have the capacity to consider our future. And the more we abuse alcohol, the worse this gets. The brain is always adapting to what's going on in our lives, and when we drink, we create pathways between our triggers and alcohol being the solution. A main responsibility of the brain is to automate behaviors so we don't have to think about everything that we do. Thinking things through and making decisions requires the brain to use calories, and the brain wants to conserve as many calories as possible for our survival. So the more behaviors that the brain can automate, the better. If every single time you feel anxiety or stress, you drink, and then you feel better, the brain will quickly connect those things and form a pathway. So the next time you feel anxiety, drinking is an immediate thought, and you believe you will feel better if you do it. 
So that's what neuroplasticity is all about. We teach our brain that alcohol is the solution. So it makes drinking an automatic thought and a compulsion because we deeply believe that alcohol is the solution. And regardless of sober time, these pathways don't just disappear. They become weaker the less we use them, but they're always there. This is why we can never be cured and drink again. Studies have looked at flashing a quick 33 millisecond cue to sober people, which is too quick for them to even register what they saw. And researchers saw rapid activation of the brain's reward system, which the sober person may be experiencing as a craving or anticipation of the reward of drinking. So these pathways can be triggered like without you even realizing that you saw a trigger. So I talk about neuroplasticity a lot in episode 46. Go listen to that if you haven't yet. The third most powerful thing that I've learned in the past year is that alcohol can cause or worsen depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and psychosis. Studies on psychiatric comorbidities with alcohol use disorder have found that between 40 to 70 percent of people who abuse alcohol have at least one other mental illness, with the most common one being depression. A 2006 study found that in the U.S., about 9% of people struggle with a mood disorder and 11% with an anxiety disorder. But for people who have alcohol use disorder, 20% of them struggle with a mood disorder and 18% struggle with an anxiety disorder. So it's almost doubled. I do not struggle with anxiety And this study also found that about 200,000 people had alcohol-induced depression and about 51,000 had alcohol-induced anxiety. And that's what I struggled with. So substance-induced disorders have been found to increase the risk for poor outcome from substance dependence and increase the lifetime number of suicide attempts because it creates a loop. Alcohol makes you feel anxious so then you drink to get rid of the anxiety but then the drinking causes anxiety so then you have to drink to get rid of the anxiety and it's just a big mess so here's what you might not know psychosis is a condition where a person's thoughts and perceptions are disrupted in ways that can make it difficult for them to know what's real and what's not it involves seeing hearing or feeling things that are not there having unwarranted thoughts trouble thinking clearly or concentrating difficulty understanding what's real incoherent speech delusions and hallucinations It's estimated that three out of every hundred people will experience some form of psychosis, and many of these episodes appear in a person's late teens or early 20s. So developing these conditions isn't fully understood, but contributing factors are genetics, life experience, chemical imbalance in the brain, and alcohol or drug use. Isn't that one interesting? When I stumbled on this information, I learned that alcohol abuse can cause psychotic episodes. Alcohol-induced psychosis can occur when a person is drunk, experiencing withdrawal, or for someone who is a chronic heavy drinker with compulsive patterns of drinking. 
Compulsive behavior is performing an action persistently and repeatedly without getting any reward or pleasure from it, which is basically what the end of all of our drinking was like. It wasn't fun, but we just kept doing it. So the only way to cure alcohol-induced depression, anxiety, or psychosis is to stop drinking. If the person doesn't drink, then they won't experience these symptoms. And that's what's really scary. Not just that alcohol can worsen existing mental illness, but that it can cause mental illness that isn't real. I've heard from many other sober people that they felt very suicidal while they were drinking, and once they stopped, they never felt suicidal again. And that was my experience too. So it makes me feel really sad for the people who act on those feelings because they feel so real. But it's not actually us, it's the alcohol making us feel that way. So I talk about this more in episode 19 if you're interested. Number four is it's not our fault. There are many factors that go into developing an addiction, like genetics, your childhood trauma, or chronic stress. Alcohol isn't filtering out the population looking for losers. There isn't one specific group of people that get addicted. It can be anybody. So addiction is like 50% genetic and 50% environmental. And there is not an alcoholic gene or an addictive personality type that if you have those things, you're doomed to be addicted forever and have like all sorts of problems. All different types of people develop addictions and there's a lot of things that contribute to it. So all of the risk factors add up to increase or decrease the chances of developing a problem. So I've talked about this a lot in episode 48, which was pretty recent, so I won't go into it all again. But overall, what I've learned is that this is not my fault and there's nothing wrong with me. Children are very observant. And you pick up on things and make connections without even realizing it. If you drink to have fun or be social, then the risk of you developing a problem is a lot less than someone who's drinking to cope with trauma, mental illness, or everyday stress. Drinking to cope creates a need to drink, not a desire to drink. And if you watched a parent or close family member abuse alcohol, then you made connections based on their experience too. So the reason that addictions tend to run in families or in the case of the Native American population in entire groups of people is because of a genetic component, but also because of the environmental component. So I'll use Native Americans as an example because that's more of an environmental component, but this applies to families that have a long line of addiction in them too. Native Americans and Caucasians have similar genetics. But Native Americans have a much higher rate of drug and alcohol addiction than any other ethnicity, despite being only less than 2% of the population of the U.S. According to national surveys, over 9% of Native Americans aged 12 and up reported heavy alcohol use, which is the highest rate of any ethnic group. Native Americans also have the highest rates of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, deaths from alcohol poisoning, and are more likely to abuse drugs than any other ethnic group. And they have the highest rates of cocaine, meth, inhalant, and marijuana use disorders. 
Native American students who go to school on reservations are 3.4 times more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs compared to other students in the U.S. So despite these higher rates, Native Americans are not genetically predisposed to alcoholism. And their genetics are not hugely different from Caucasians. But the reason that they're more likely to struggle with alcohol is because the risks that come from environmental and lifestyle factors. So for Native Americans, some contributors are historical trauma, violence, poverty, higher levels of unemployment, racism, lower educational levels and high school completion rates, lack of health insurance, higher rates of trauma, and normalization of heavy drinking by peers. So you can see from this example that environmental factors play a huge role in someone developing a problem with alcohol or drugs. And how you grew up and where you lived and who your parents are is completely out of your control. And this isn't an excuse it's just factual. So there are things that increase your risk for developing a problem, and it's just a fact. I'm not excusing any behavior. It's just an explanation for developing a problem. So overall, I believe that it's not our fault. And lastly, number five of the top five is emotional sobriety is the key to a happy life. And this is my best tip. Develop your emotional intelligence. Studies have shown that people with lower emotional intelligence are much more likely to relapse. Remember, drinkers usually start off with low emotional intelligence and then alcohol damages the brain to make us even more reactive. Whenever something bad happens, it seems like a huge deal. And the lower your emotional intelligence is, the less able you are to deal with it without drinking or doing something else self-destructive. A 2014 study found that heavy drinkers were more emotionally reactive in early sobriety, that this improved after the first month, and people with more withdrawal symptoms were more reactive. And that makes sense because we don't actually want to stop drinking. We feel like we have to. Plus, drinking has been the solution for everything. And if you have more withdrawal symptoms, then you probably drank more or drank for longer. So a good way to assess your emotional intelligence is by looking at your recent history. Do other people and situations have control over your emotions? Are you easily set off and react in huge ways? Do you sometimes find out later that your initial reaction was wrong or you went overboard? Someone who's emotionally reactive and immature is controlled by everyone around them. And someone who's proactive is able to pause when things happen and analyze the situation before deciding how to feel about it. So that's the difference. Proactive people are able to decide how they feel. Emotionally reactive people have no control. So if you are emotionally reactive and there's a good chance that you are unless this is something you've been working on, then the best thing that you can do is recognize that and start being aware of the times that you're doing it. So I have an ebook on emotional sobriety on my website with lots of info, and episode 35 is all about this topic too. But self-awareness is the first step. Why are you feeling this way? When did you start feeling this way? Is what happened actually a big deal? If you can develop your emotional intelligence, then you can make it through stressful situations without drinking. 
So it took some time, but now I have full control over how I feel. When something happens or someone does something, I can pause and think about it. And if something's really triggering for me, and maybe my judgment is clouded because of that, then I'm able to tell people close to me how I'm feeling and what happened and ask for their feedback. And then I can take that feedback when people disagree with me and not freak out about it or get offended. So another sign of low emotional intelligence is being frequently offended. So those are my top five from the past year of educating myself on addiction. So education and being willing to work on yourself and improve is so important for living a happy and fulfilled life. And thank you so much for your support over the past year, or I guess whenever you discovered my podcast, because not many people were listening to it in the beginning, because no one knew about me. And I'm really happy that the information that I learn and pass on helps you too. So my goal is to help people quit drinking a little bit sooner and to help sober people live a happy, calm life where they're in control of their emotions and not being constantly triggered. So if you enjoy this podcast and it's helpful for you, then the best thing that you can do to support the show is to share your favorite episodes. Just get the message out there and pass it along. And thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. And I'll talk to you next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.